0: And then you look at a destination that's mega diverse, like Guyana, that's done a wonderful job of protecting its natural and cultural heritage, that we have scientific research that supports the fact that our ancient rainforest is more valuable in the ground than the gold or or diamonds that could be found under those trees, then all of a sudden there, there becomes a case where... The environmental impact associated with the greenhouse gas emissions of flying here, for example, from Europe, are much less than the environmental benefits of people visiting here.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Low Season Traveller Insider Guides. I'm Jed Brown, founder of Low Season Traveller, and for this episode we're heading down to Guyana in South America, which has recently been identified as the world's number one sustainable tourism destination. Guyana may be small in size, but it is an absolute giant in terms of both responsible and sustainable tourism. It has a robust green state development strategy, 99% of its tourism businesses are locally owned, Guyana's government insists that all tour operators have a sustainable tourism policy which echoes their own principles and ethics in relation to responsible and sustainable tourism. It has the most pristine rainforests in the world and they truly understand the value and responsibility in keeping them that way. And English is the official language, so interaction with locals is remarkably easy. Low Season Traveller's Sustainable Tourism Director, Dr. David Ehrman, caught up with Brian Mullis and Carla Chandra, the Director and Deputy Director of the Guyana Tourism Authority, respectively, to learn more about this wonderful destination. Enjoy.
2: Welcome everybody to another edition of the Low Season Traveller podcast. This time, it's my honor to, to have on the show Brian Mullis, the director of the Guyana Tourism Authority, and his deputy director, Carla James, who will tell us a little bit more about how this South American nation is developing sustainable tourism and really thriving in the way that they're developing new products and and new opportunities for this country. So, Let's introduce our guests. And I think you've both had such exciting careers and with such different backgrounds that I think it'll be most interesting for our listeners for you to introduce yourselves. So, if you could tell us a little bit about your journey and what got you into this industry and into the positions that you're in today.
3: Okay, good afternoon. Um, Pleasure to be here. My journey or entry into tourism has been won by accident. I started off, actually, my background is in computer science, but which landed me into a research assistant position with the Ministry of Tourism in Guyana and having traveled uh, the country executing projects, just fell in love with travel and tourism, my country even more, and which has basically kept me with, within this industry for 16 years. I'm actually originally from a remote uh, community called Camarang, uh, which is surrounded by nature, mountains, lots of waterways. Many things I took for granted until I traveled and saw it from a visitor's eye. Because of that, I wanted to play a major role in the development of it over the years.
0: As for for me, I got started as an international tour operator, on a wing and a prayer, and a loan that was co-signed by my grandmother, father, and mother. Ran the business for nine years. It was very successful from a financial standpoint, and we always tried to practice ecotourism as part of all of our operational methodologies and, and whatnot to the point where there was an epiphany moment where I realized that the tenets of ecotourism could be more broadly applied in the travel and tourism industry at large, which led to the founding of Sustainable Travel International, a a nonprofit that focuses on improving livelihoods and help protecting places that, that people visit. And in working with tourism businesses of all sizes and over 100 destinations around the world, when an opportunity became available to lead a national tourism board in a destination that's had a long standing green state uh, agenda, as we have here in Guyana. I, I went for the so called dream job trifecta and am proud to be in a role where, together with Carla. Our team of, of 26 and our, our sector, as well as sister governmental agencies, we're literally working together to take things to the next level and adopt not only ecotourism best practice as, as I did back in the tour operator days, but sustainable destination management and, and development best practice as part of everything that we do.
2: How did you make this decision? Because I think for, for you, Brian, it's a jump to go from being a tour operator and an, an advisor to many destinations to, to leading one. So what, what have been your biggest biggest learnings from your time in, in, in Guyana so far?
0: Well, there's been a number of them. I'll just share a, a few. But uh, one is that, you know, in, in advising governments on best practice, like interministerial multi-stakeholder collaboration and demand-based development and fostering and enabling environment for tourism. You know, for us in sustainable tourism development, those are things that are always at the top of the the list, but actually working on the ground to make progress in those areas takes a lot of time, effort, and, and energy. And of course, collaboration, particularly with other sister ministries that are involved directly or or indirectly in tourism. It's also been really wonderful to come into an organization that's been around for some time and not only have the opportunity to lead it, but to mentor individuals like Carla, who could and should very well become the next director of the Guyana tourism uh, authority there's just so much desire to to learn and to work in an environment that is designed to foster empowerment um, making decisions identifying solutions and that's been incredibly rewarding and also just working with indigenous communities who are actively looking to manage and and take ownership of their own enterprises. You know, when there's good collaboration in communities, a lot of things can happen really quickly. And when different familial groups aren't getting along, it's it's very difficult to to affect the positive change that they're they're seeking. But I think through patience and and perseverance and a long-term view of things, it 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 certainly makes that process um, a lot easier
2: must be interesting to see that side of it and to, to really get involved in all these small, and apostrophes, processes that make the big things happen. Carla, how do you see the development of the industry? You say you want to be a part of this and you, you're very proud of your country and do you see it as a, only a positive thing or is there also some, some challenges in the, in the next steps leading to the development of the country?
3: Certainly over the years, I think the first thing that we've struggled with from a country standpoint is recognizing tourism as an industry that can really contribute to the gdp country it's often been lumped with other services so i think with that getting our decision makers to acknowledge that has been a major challenge outside of that though i think we have really good partners ngos private sector who really go above and beyond in trying to push the tourism agenda and get our decision makers to pay attention to it. So I think we've made great progress there, especially with Brian too, who's just been with us for over a year. I know he's very modest with his contribution, but it has been really great, not only from an ADC standpoint, but from an entire sector and pulling everyone together to achieve great things.
2: Sounds like you're a really good team. We think so. <laughs> <laughs> I saw on some of the press releases and some of the materials from the Guyana Tourism Authority that your goal, and I think this is very, very ambitious, is to position Guyana as a premier destination for protecting its natural and cultural heritage, providing authentic experiences, and maximizing local economic benefits. I think those are three very big ambitions. How do you do this is my big question.
0: Well, I I think um, one of the mixed blessings that guyana has benefited from is the fact that it really hasn't been on travelers radars and we don't have a highly developed infrastructure so a lot of the reasons that you can travel to places in the country where wildlife are not afraid of, of seeing you just because there's not there's not that big of a population and there's not that many travelers coming in in country. So, you know, if authenticity is the new currency in in travel and I believe it is as a result of of over tourism and a lot of people, a lot of places having lost those very things that attracted travelers in the first place, we don't have that phenomenon here. So what's nice is with the green state agenda and, and with not a highly developed interior there's some 215 indigenous communities that are the ancestral guardians of their natural and cultural heritage so when you provide opportunities for them to own and manage their own tourism enterprises and people want to come to visit them To have that cultural immersion, to get to know local people. It's nice here because we are an English speaking country and you don't have that need for an interpreter, so you really can have those immersive experiences. And that incentive also translates into wildlife. People want to see all the giants of Guyana. We have giant river otters, we have giant anteaters, and a host of other iconic megafauna that when those habitats are protected by the indigenous communities, for many of those species, while we can't guarantee sightings, your chances are, are pretty darn good for seeing a lot of them. So I think it's, it's taking that grassroots approach and really empowering micro enterprise and small business development at a community level That that makes a big difference. So, unlike our neighboring Caribbean destinations that specialize in sun, sand, and sea, our our strengths are in nature, culture, and and adventure. So we're focusing on things like wildlife tourism, like indigenous tourism, scientific, academic, volunteer, and educational travel, all these different areas that we have distinctive product in, in comparison to even our South American. Neighboring destinations, let alone those Caribbean destinations. Because
2: so I know you've done some trips with your family throughout the country as well. What has been the most memorable, sort of authentic experience that you've had in your time there?
0: Well, I have to say that um, there's been been a been several. Uh, one that that I think was really profound, particularly for for the kids, was staying at Rewa Eco Lodge. In the central rainforest, so I think Guyana is kind of hard to comprehend for a lot of people—the fact that we have over eighty percent primary rainforest. That's you know intact virgin rainforest where you can see a lot of our our megafauna. So one day I don't know, my son counted seeing twenty-two black caiman, seven giant river otters several dozen species of of birds and then we stay in the local community and I'm explaining to the family how the entire community is benefiting from running this eco lodge and different groups from different families are taking turns and running the eco lodge for several weeks at a time before the the next group comes in to make sure that those benefits accrue to, to everyone both directly through those jobs that are provided, but indirectly through the local suppliers that are providing foodstuff and artisanal items, crafts, things of, of that nature. So it's just a really special time to travel to a really far flung destination that, that's not that easy to, to access from a global perspective, but from a Guyanese perspective, it's it's not that, that difficult to get to. So that was one of them. And then, a few weekends ago, we had a chance to go into the Kanuku Mountains, which is one of our protected areas with one of our local outfitters, and we ended up seeing a giant anteater and a harpy eagle, which the latter is a species that folks that have lived here their entire lives, few have have seen. So these are experiences that I think have made a mark on our, our children and our family and adventures that create memories to last a lifetime. So whether you're in tourism or you just love wildlife and, and birding, those extraordinary experiences are, are pretty accessible here. That sounds amazing.
2: Maybe, Carla, um, h- how, do you, how do you see the synergy between protecting your assets and providing these authentic experiences and maximizing the economic benefits to, to all the local communities?
3: Yeah, I think from a policy level, I think we are on the right track in making sure that we accomplish there are big ambitions here. That's basically from a national level, uh, building on what Brian said regarding the green state agenda, even from a tourism sector to everything that we undertake here is with a sustainability mindset. And also it comes back to collaboration with all our partners, private sectors, um, NGOs in accomplishing. These
2: three areas. We've heard on, on other episodes of this podcast a lot about over tourism in different destinations where tourism has grown too far for the local economy and um, or for the local people as well to handle. With Guyana's tourism sector growing quite rapidly, how are you planning to monitor and plan for this growth to ensure that you stay within these natural limits for your destination?
3: Yes. Well, first and foremost, I think Ghana is a niche tourism destination. And while we do want growth, we are not focused on mass tourism. I think our marketing plans and strategies are actually more focused on getting quality than quantity, finding the right visitors who want to ensure that their monies and dollars go toward local communities that impact their development, basically. Um, Everything that we undertake, including, as mentioned, on a national level with the Green State Agenda, not only for tourism, but any other sector that plans to do any kind of development, sustainability plays a really big role in that. And as part of our regulations and standards, as an agency that monitors that, we actually ask for all our operators and tourism businesses to have sustainable plans within their operations that takes all of these things into consideration as well.
0: Yeah, so really it is from the national governmental level into the private sector, to where if we're all working towards protecting that wellspring that our industry depends upon and, and really sets us apart from other destinations, then we have to, to help to direct that in all that, that we do from our national strategy and planning to the policies that Carla touched on, to the ways in which we're developing product and and promoting the destination. So looking at not just increasing volume but the value that each traveler represents and then instilling those ethics of sustainability in our messaging and focusing on product development that really is micro in orientation is, is making a big difference and And we know that our wildlife-rich areas can only handle so many travelers, so a lot of our recent product development efforts are in and around Georgetown, for example, in the Lower Essequibo River and the Essequibo Coast. Those areas can handle a lot more volume, but it is largely localized. We only have a couple international brands in Guyana, so roughly 99% of our businesses are locally owned and, and we want to keep it that way.
2: You seem to work very closely with with all types of stakeholders from the indigenous communities through to the government level through to well probably talking to the international operators as well. How do you manage this on a, on a daily basis because this is a very time-consuming process I guess and what could other destinations learn from your approach?
3: Yeah I'd actually like to take this particular question I think because It is something that we have been doing for years, but it was not only until Brian got here that we really started to see how it can yield positive results in the shortest possible time. Brian has a really unique style in working with people and it is something that we hope to adopt way beyond uh, when he decides to leave us. Uh, But collaboration, getting buy-in and support, problem solving together, not operating in a silo as an agency, trying to figure everything out in terms of what the issues are for the sector and trying to solve it on our own is not going to work. You have to do it together. You're going to accomplish a lot more, and you're going to find much more better solutions once you do that together. So definitely collaboration plays a really big role in accomplishing anything.
0: And it makes it a lot easier easier when you want to achieve some of the same things like we work very closely with the Ministry of Indigenous People's Affairs to support community-led and and own tourism development in indigenous communities throughout the country and and are growing that portfolio of the number of businesses that we're supporting the development of because of the success of an initial pilot that we scoped together with one another and now donors are wanting to get involved and support that process as, as well. And then just bringing things down to a really micro level on a day-to-day basis. I think both Carla and I struggle with having days filled with meetings and also wanting to demonstrate that we're a very action-oriented agency that can move at the pace of the private sector. You know, at times it creates long hours but at the same time i think with the quality of of work and life that we want to that balance work-life balance that we're trying to foster within the gta it's been really wonderful to see more and more young professionals that want to work for the organization and, and become part of this growing sector that's been identified as a top priority in our recent green state development strategy, given the cross-cutting impacts of travel and tourism and its ability to create those positive socioeconomic and, and conservation outcomes that we've been speaking about.
2: Brilliant. Collaboration is, is so often used in describing what needs to be done, but it's, it's seldom lived. And it really sounds like in Guyana, you've found a way to, to align people and, and moving that direction. So that's, that's fascinating. Just a follow up question to that you have this Green State Development Agenda, and um, the, whole, the whole country, the whole government aligned to these goals. How were these initially developed, and how, how strongly did tourism feature in the, in the setting of the initial goals for this agenda?
0: Well, you know, in speaking of having a long-standing green state a- agenda, I think you, you can see that exemplified in stats like, for example, what I shared earlier, the fact that a large percentage of our rainforest is, is intact. the fact that there are presidential grants available through the Ministry of Indigenous People's Affairs to support community enterprise development, the fact that we are privy to a lot of multinational treaties related to low-carbon development, the protection of biodiversity, and, and the like. These things make up that foundation that speaks to the long-standing Green State agenda. And then looking at how that's translated into strategy whether we look at the low carbon development strategy that was created by the former government or the current political party's green state development strategy that they all they each build on the other and while i i don't think tourism has been a priority sector historically for the government we see that changing in, in real time here because, well, one, it has been called out, I think, as I mentioned, as a priority investment sector within the new green state development strategy, but also based on our latest data from the Bureau of Statistics, we found that the average international traveler spends 1,060 US dollars, which is pretty aligned with the international average which is around 1100 US dollars per person per visit which puts tourism as the second largest export sector in Guyana after gold contributing some 62.6 billion dollars to our economy and contributing to some 22,000 jobs and that's really without significant investment at a governmental level but now that the business case is there I think that that's, as I mentioned, changing the level of of priority and hopefully seeing an increased contribution to the Guyana Tourism Authorities and, and Department of Tourism's budget and optimally helping to foster more collaboration and attract more donor support which is, is critical, particularly at this point in time in the development of the economy of Guyana. I think we were recently listed by NASDAQ as the fastest growing economy in the world due to the emerging oil and gas sector, which very much, I think, provides an opportunity to help to follow in the footsteps of countries like Norway and, and others that have used oil and gas to protect their, their natural and cultural heritage and, and benefit all of their residents. That's certainly the, the lead that we're hoping to follow here.
2: With more destinations sort of jumping on the ecotourism bandwagon, let's say, and trying to position themselves, at least parts of their countries, as, as tourist destinations, how do you think Guyana can sort of keep its leadership position there and, and position itself for the future?
3: Yes, I think we're actually starting to position ourselves as a leader. As just this year, March and June specifically, Ghana was awarded the number one um, ecotourism destination at ITB and the number one sustainable tourism destination by the Aleta Foundation. So those are international awards that we received that is certainly recognizing us for all that we're doing regarding uh, policies that we are implementing that are aligned with being an eco destination and a sustainable destination. I believe as well, we are redefining what a five-star experience, um, for example, is. There are not many places you can go to that you're the only person that may have the entire park to yourself. Also, I think being in South America is good for Guyana that we're the only destination that speaks English as an official language, makes interaction between visitors and locals very easy. There's no need for a translator, So I think it's things like that that, certainly um, helps to position us that way. And of course, maintaining authentic experiences and focusing more on the experience more than the product as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, they they say that it's often easy to become recognized as as the best, and I think that's probably a relative comment and depending on the, the sector, but what's been wonderful to see here is that I think all of us involved in tourism, realize that that was the easy part. The hard part is going to be remaining recognized as one of the best of the best. So earlier, you know, when I've touched on the fact that adopting sustainable destination management, development, best practice, and, you know, looking at that from uh, strategy planning, policy, product development, promotion standpoint, everything that we do, that's, that's making it easier because we know that we can only improve and increasingly we're having to, to look outside of our own region at, at best practices and, and what we can do to up the ante in terms of, of our practices. So keeping our finger on the pulse of what's happening and, trying to increasingly play a thought leadership role. And I think that's important because, you know, as you look at markets like Scandinavia and other parts of of Europe where concepts like flying shame are coming out, and then you look at a destination that's mega diverse, like Guyana, that's done a wonderful job of protecting its natural and cultural heritage, that we have scientific research that supports the fact that our ancient rainforest is more valuable in the ground than the gold or or diamonds that could be found under those trees, then all of a sudden there, there becomes a case where the environmental impact associated with the greenhouse gas emissions of flying here, for example, from Europe are much less than the environmental benefits of people visiting here. So I think increasingly destinations like Guyana really do have to play a thought leadership role in telling that other side of, of the story. So moving beyond best practice and really changing the, the narrative.
2: That's a great message. And I, I wish you and Guyana Tourism all the all the best in achieving that, because I think it is a, an outstanding story that will hopefully in, inspire others. So perhaps to, to finish this, some quickfire questions for you that will, will help our listeners understand you a little bit better. So, Carla, maybe, what, what's, what's your earliest travel memory?
3: Yeah, my earliest travel memory is probably 10 years old, hiking uh, to a mountain, that's called, well, hiking down a mountain, actually, That's called uh, Chai Chai, with my two-year-old brother in a backpack on my back. I have always had strong legs but that's my earliest
2: travel memory. <laughs> Brilliant. So, so Brian, what's what's your happiest travel memory?
0: Oh, wow, David, you're asking some tough ones here. I don't know that I can name just, just one, but I will. Um, um, I think it was the, the first trip with my girlfriend who became my life partner and, and wife. I talked her into going to, to Cuba. We had gotten permission from the U.S. Office of Foreign Asset Controls to operate one of the first adventure travel educational trips in the country, and I needed to go do the reconnaissance. And Let's just say that it was a bonding experience because we're circumnavigating Havana at night where highways just ended in overpasses that weren't finished and trying to navigate backcountry roads and and whatnot. But. It really was a trip of a lifetime, and, and one that we we have fond stories that we share with friends and, and colleagues to this day, including mm-hmm.
2: now. Perfect. Yeah. That, well, that's uh, a real okay. adventure, right? <laughs> and Carla, maybe one more. What What do you never leave home without when you travel?
3: I would say, sadly, a battery pack, a uh, backpack, the battery backup. <laughs> never run out of battery there's so much of beautiful sceneries to capture so
2: always need a backup to make sure i have power yeah sadly that's these days that's <laughs> one of the most important things to have
0: right <laughs> yes
3: indeed. especially when you
0: work for a national tourism board and you're <laughs> great about social media posting like carla is okay yeah <laughs> it's an important
2: part of the job it is, it is. and maybe the the final question what are your plans for this weekend in Guyana?
0: Actually, for me, I have to share that I'm taking the family and the in-laws to Suriname. And for me, it's work to some extent because more and more travelers are choosing to visit Guyana via the three Guyanas. So they're either flying into French Guyana, Guyana or Suriname and then overlanding to the other two destinations and then flying out from where they ever they end up. And I need to experience the travel for myself. Just so happens that I was able to talk my in-laws into the trip as well because I didn't have to twist the arms of any member of my family who's always looking for, Dad, where are we going next?
2: Right. This uh, also sounds like an adventure. Uh, it will you, be. Hannah. What's, what's your, your weekend plans?
3: It's going to be quiet. Pool we'll party for one of my nephews celebra- celebrating a birthday. And movies, Dora the Explorer and so I'm also to explore
2: as well it's something that they certainly enjoy perfect it sounds but both sounds exciting in different ways yes
3: yeah.
2: well thank you both for your time and for your for your insights I'm sure the the listeners of this podcast will really be able to take some lessons from this and Guyana sounds like a place where there's still a, a lot of space to explore and where there's not necessarily a huge high season but maybe a low season sort of atmosphere year round at the moment which is brilliant so hopefully this the listeners will also like me want to visit Guyana and and come and see this special place that both of you are calling home at the moment so thank you very much it's been a pleasure thank speaking you, and have a fantastic week
0: hey thank you David I really appreciate it
1: and that's a wrap Huge thanks to both Brian and Carla for sharing their insights with us this week, and special thanks, of course, to our guest presenter, Dr. David Ehrman. If you'd like to find out more about Guyana, please do visit guianatourism.com. It's quite sincerely one of the finest Tourism Authority websites we've ever come across, and it really is worth a visit. We're currently creating a brand new lowseasontraveler.com website, which will feature hundreds of low season destinations for your consideration. If you'd like to be one of the very first to have access to the new site before we release it generally, then please do email us your details directly at jed at lowseasontraveller.com. Finally, if you enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your friends and social networks. And if you could take the time to leave us a short review on iTunes, that would be hugely appreciated too. Look out for the next episode on iTunes or Spotify, or even better, subscribe and receive it automatically. It's free for everyone, as we believe that travel is better without the crowds.